0: You are listening to Venerable Voices. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, all you good people. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Venerable Voices. I'm Cindy Kellogg, your host, and I welcomed to the Venerable Voices stage today the curator of exhibits for the Aurora History Museum, Chris Shackelford, and street photographer, Amy Forestieri. These two incredible people have collaborated on the newest exhibit at the Aurora History Museum, Without a Home in Aurora. They spent time with over 20 individuals in our neighborhood experiencing homelessness And captured their journeys so beautifully, humanizing each and every one of them and leaving such an indelible footprint on my spirit as I experienced their exhibit. I hope you will find them as humanizing as I did. I hope you will learn from them the renewed sense of empathy that we all so desperately need on this human journey in today's time more than ever before. So without further ado, my conversation with Chris Shackelford and his collaborator, Amy Forestieri, and Without a Home in Aurora. Well, good morning, you two. Welcome to Venerable Voices, it's really an honor for me to speak with both Chris and Amy on this unbelievable collaborative um, that I as a citizen in our community got to experience firsthand a week and a half ago, uh, learning about the Um, unbelievable issue Um, further educating myself about the issues of homelessness uh, of people who are, are struggling out there every day our neighbors our neighbors who find themselves without a home for a myriad of reasons, and it was an unbelievably moving experience for me to see the exhibit. I love the humanizing aspect that both of you together put into it. I could really feel um, the journey of those individuals in our community who um, are beautiful souls and to give them a platform to express themselves and to put in context for those of us who are not as informed about how, how one could even end up in this situation was really revealing for me. And I'm just so grateful that both of you uh, are willing to talk a little bit more about the project. The the exhibit I understand just started in December. So I think I I caught it kind of on the the front end, which I'm so excited about, because that means we have this whole runway in front of us to bring the community further along and and educated about it. So without further ado, uh, Chris and Amy, welcome to Venerable Voices. Um, Chris, I think I'd like to start with you just a little bit as the curator of the exhibits for the Aurora History Museum. Could you talk to us a little bit about the impact of an exhibit like this um, coming into into the Aurora um, landscape?
1: Right. So I feel like our museum, um, we try to meet our community where they're at. And so we do a lot of different projects um, confronting a bunch of different issues from historical uh, exhibits to very contemporary exhibits Um, as an as the history museum for the city of Aurora. Uh, our purpose and our overall mission is to tell the stories of the most Aurorans as we possibly can. Um, and that can be from a whole swath of different communities and cultural backgrounds um, to economic backgrounds. Um, and so um, I think this exhibit in particular, it really opens the eyes of a lot of people who come into our uh, museum to a very complicated and very sometimes politically charged issue. And um, like you very kindly said, I think we went about it in a very humane way that we weren't trying to be controversial in any way. We were trying to present people's stories in a way that people could really stop and look and stop and listen and um, really kind of look in the eyes of the portraits on the wall and read their stories and kind of um, look at them peer to peer. And um, you know, for a second, um, unlike you know, a lot of times we're driving down the road, and you know, we see or experience people um, uh, experiencing housing insecurity. Uh, it, it's sometimes uncomfortable, and a lot of people wanna look away and not really take the time to uh, maybe engage. Uh, maybe it's not even an appropriate setting to engage. Um, but we felt like this was a great opportunity for, uh, like you said, our neighbors here in our community to share their stories and be heard and uh, bring a little humanity to a very complicated uh, issue in our community.
0: Well, you certainly did that. And I will say the power of the story itself with the photo really made me feel like I was walking, if that is possible, in the shoes of each of the special people with whom you heard um, share their story. Into this and creating the the visual piece, um, uh, oh, pictures worth a thousand words, I've heard that said so many times, and the power of your photography, um, what, what did this project mean to you, and how did you come to be involved?
2: Oh, well, thank you, Cindy, for this awesome opportunity to be on Venerable Voices, um, with Chris, um, I started photographing, um, people on, in the Colfax community, um, about three years ago, I was awarded a grant through CPAC, the Colorado Photographic Arts Center, for the Veterans uh, Photography Program. So, they, um, I think it was the purpose was to launch your career, but <laughs> I showed up not have ever using a camera, and, and they said, what do you shoot, I'm like a camera? And they're like, oh no, <laughs> you don't know what you're doing, do you? I'm like, nope. So. Through the program, they taught us how uh, all stages of photography and I was um, in my former life, I was a strategic planner and a systems engineer for 20 years. So it's a very different switch. And for my first project, I'm a person of faith and I wanted to tithe my project to the community. So I volunteered with a a nonprofit church group, uh, Jesus on Colfax Ministries. And I cold called them and asked if I could do my first project with them, um, serving them, photographing the people uh, who are living in the motels and and on the streets. And I loved it. The first day I started shooting, I ended up joining a street ministry team and served for two years. Um, And then uh, as COVID hit and my daughter had to transition to uh, online school, I thought it would be a good time to launch my my for-profit to fund my nonprofit. So I had still wanted to serve that community and continue photographing my friends because I believe, I just, I love the challenge when uh, they'll say, you don't wanna take a picture of me, I'm, I'm not beautiful or I'm not worth looking at and it breaks my heart. And I love the challenge because I promise them that they're gonna love it. And just to see their face light up when you take a picture, make a print, a professional quality print and deliver it and they hold it like it's a baby. Uh, so it was really neat uh, to do that. That's kind of how I got my start with this kind of photography. And I serve on a group, a volunteer group called BACA. It's the Business Art Cultural Alliance of Aurora. And one of the BACA members knew that Chris and Scott and Lauren were doing this project. And so she connected us, her name is Bliss Coleman. She connected me into the History Museum team. And since I had been taking pictures of the community for a few years, I volunteered to kind of introduce them to my friends and, um, you know, take some, share some of the photographs I've captured along the way, but they were always meant to be kind of the side dish because the interviews and the portraits that Chris took were just amazing. Those are the highlight of, you know, of the, the project. And mine are to kind of add a little bit more context and a lot of them are kind of vague because we'll be posting some of the stories behind them, but just to show how we're all we're all the same. I mean, any one of us can struggle with housing insecurity. I have in my, my past, I grew up in the environment kind of like Colfax. So we're all the same and we're all broken. Just some people have more resources to hide it. So it was a really good opportunity to continue to, to I guess, honor my friends in the community by making sure that they're connected with people who are gonna represent them in a dignified, respectful way. And to continue shooting, uh, I just I just love it. I, I show up and I get more than I, uh, I definitely get more than I give because the people that I've met, they're so kind to me and my family. And I think in the whole time I've been in Colfax, maybe about three years, I've heard maybe about 10 swear words around me. I mean, it's that that much respect that you get shown from our friends in the community. It's really something special and I wanna encourage more people to volunteer If they see the photographs and they feel the environment isn't as scary and dangerous as they think, um, or they might see on the news, then maybe they'll start volunteering. And once they do, I think they'll be really surprised at how much your city cares for one another and how many good people are out in the world. And it really restores your faith in humanity.
0: Well, Chris and Amy, every one of the stories that you put together really had an effect on me, but there are two in particular that I just have to call out. They really, really got to me. I will tell you that I can't stop thinking about Kim. Uh, Kim's story, and I'll share with you all uh, why in particular, but uh, during the 1999 Columbine shootings, I actually worked for Bonfie's Blood Center in community outreach and blood donor recruitment and uh, all of basically our communications programming. So the Columbine shootings um, were tremendously um, Heart-wrenching, not only personally for our community, but in the line of work I was in. So we were rushing um, to get the community on board for blood donations and, you know, for any, certainly any opportunities to save lives that that existed that day. Um, and to know that we also had a job to do, it was really hard to manage my personal feelings about that. Um, two years later, we were actually able, in a community outreach way, to put the survivors of Columbine in face-to-face meetings for the first time with their blood donors. And that was something that was unprecedented uh, at the time for the blood industry, but I think really important to, to see that collaborative, that human experience, and all of us working together. What Kim's story did for me, and I encourage all of our listeners today, if they haven't yet, to to... Get to the exhibit, either online or in person, because these are the stories, uh, Kim's story so moved me and I don't want to spoil it um, in too much detail for those uh, who are going to, to see the exhibit, but to know that she survived as a parent, her kids being at Columbine that day and that it, some, some tough things they dealt with and her circumstances today speak to the difficulty of that journey. And that really, that really struck me. Um, I also will say that I can't stop thinking about Sonny. And for Sonny to have uh, shared his story with you all in the way he did, and it just, it really was hard for me to know that, that he passed away after you, you shared his story. Um, those are just two of many that moved me, but I wanted to specifically address some of the, the individual ways that you were able to affirm together with with telling the story and showing their portraits and affirming them and the dignity and all those things really made each of those individuals human. And I think that's what we tend to lose, right? When we think about mass issues like housing insecurity, we think about it as an issue. We We don't acknowledge the people behind the issue. And I went to my car that day, very, very in tune with the people the people behind the issue. And I am so grateful for you all to bring that forward in the way that you did. Um, Chris, what what was a hard part about this experience? How did you reconcile what I'm sure were just some pretty hard feelings in your heart um to, to manage as you were encountering this how how did you navigate that and do do your work in such a beautiful way
1: well, I think uh the first challenge of the project was uh how do you meet folks um and so we really leaned on um you know our uh, housing, um, we have homeless services for the city of Aurora. They have a very small team, uh, Elena Dalton and uh, their team uh, initially kind of gave us their blessing, uh, gave, gave you know, pointed out very much that, you know, you wanna avoid kind of these topics in general. Um, and, you know, how were we gonna present the project was our first uh, hurdle, um, you know, cause a lot of community projects, we, we can give statistics, we can, um, do photography. We can have, uh, you know, experts who are serving this community. And there was several, uh, you know, people who devote their lives to people who are experiencing housing insecurity who I spoke with who, you know, it's, it was, it was hard not to highlight them because they are beautiful people who um, give their soul um, for other people and to see other people um, overcome um, economic and mental health and addiction and be able to find some sort of stability in their lives. Um, and so we, uh, my, my biggest hurdle very early on was to how do I meet folks. And so um, it, through Amy and through Jesus on Colfax Ministries, um, through the Aurora Day Center, I was able to make contact with folks and be able to sit down and have conversations. And some of these conversations were extremely brief, five minutes less Uh, uh, 10 minutes, while others, you know, I met a a gentleman who's living in a motel on on Colfax and sat and talked with him for over an hour because he had a lot to say and he had a lot of opinions and he was a a great person and wanted to be heard and so, uh, you know, we captured that interview and although, you know, there's only, you know, a paragraph or two about his story that we decided to pull out and put in the exhibit hour long interview is now forever archived at the aurora history museum for generations down the road to go back and listen uh, to leonard's story and know who he is as an individual and let him tell his entire story from uh, growing up in you know the south to finding his way to colorado and what it's like to be uh, living in the hotel the motel systems along colfax um, i think that it gave me an an increased sense of importance knowing that we are capturing these stories, not just for this exhibit, but knowing that, that these people who um, commonly um, are not given the opportunity to share their story in a lot of formats are forever now archived at our museum uh, for future generations. Um, there was an emotional toll at times, uh, you know you brought up Sonny, um, you know I talked to that man for less than 15 minutes but yet. You know, the following week, finding out that he had passed really kind of hit me um, as understanding the, you know, how important this project really was uh, and understanding that, uh, you know, he was one of the most optimistic people I talked to. I talked about how he just got a house with uh, his girlfriend and that he was, he was working for a nonprofit, Holy Kicks, in our community who provides shoes for people experiencing homelessness and um, and for him um, you know, to pass in, in such short time after talking to him was very emotionally challenging in a lot of ways for me. But I, I think that it, 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 it inspired me to want to talk to more people and, and, and engage with our community more.
0: When I think about the role that you played in Sonny's life, um, I think you should have tremendous comfort in knowing that you captured his legacy. And I can't imagine how hard that was to have had a conversation with him as part of this project and, and to hear, because he, I even saw it in how you wrote about him and in the picture that was captured. He, he was a very special man. And I think to know that you were able to capture his legacy the way you did, um, that's the gift you take with you. That that you know that someone out there cared enough to capture his legacy and and talk about his journey. And that is, that's forever. So- that's that's the gift that you take from that, um, for sure. You know, Amy, it sounds like you've really spent many years sort of entrusting and building trust with our neighbors through street ministries. Um, So you've obviously learned a lot from that experience over time, but what specifically about this project? Did you come away with something new, something that you maybe hadn't anticipated?
2: Uh, Well, that's a great question because I was just thinking about that um, as we also, I knew met Sonny and uh, it was nice to be able to take the last photos of him alive. And actually the very first text I sent with, as I formed my LLC, I got my new, my first business phone number or my new business phone number. And um, he was a little hesitant to have his picture taken until I showed him the pictures I'd taken of other people. And he liked them and he, he wanted to look tough He's like, my girl's going to love these. He's like, I don't know how to send them to myself. Will you do it? So he gave me his phone. And there, the very first text I sent on my like, line was too sunny. And then we also lost another member of the community that we talked to quite a bit, Mama D, She passed away the other uh, couple weeks ago. But um, I guess it, the way, what I've kind of come away with. I don't know if I'm a person of faith. I don't know why God keeps drawing me back to that environment, because um, it's kind of the environment that also broke me as a teen. And I experienced a lot of bad things um, growing up. A lot of, I've been through a lot of traumatic events from being witnesses to a crime and having to testify in court against violent people to, to crazy stuff, to even living in my car. So for me, returning to the environment that broke me, um, It's hard emotionally, um, because I want to do this with dignity and respect and the emotion is always inserted by the reader or the viewer for pictures but I keep feeling drawn back to this community and how I know I'm supposed to be there is about two years ago I photographed a guy Named Roosevelt, he was he's a character, and he wanted he said he'd be my bodyguard in in, in trade for my earring on my hoop earrings. So I gave him my earring and I took a bunch of pictures and and then I couldn't find him for about two years. I couldn't find him to give him the pictures because I I make prints of the people I photograph. Well, the first day that I took Chris and uh, Scott and Lauren. Out to meet people in the community, I was praying like, "Okay, God, where do I where do I take them?" So the very first place in Aurora that we go is behind the People's Building, and I didn't want to scare the people that were sitting outside or living outside. I didn't want to scare them or intimidate them. So I took out the pictures of Roosevelt, and I said, um, "You know, because they were you know a little bit skeptical of what we were doing there," and I said. I'm looking for my friend Roosevelt. I took pictures of him a while ago, and I can't find him to give them to him. Well, we didn't. What we didn't know is we walked right into his wife, and he had died. He froze to death in the place we were standing a year ago, and he was still wearing my earring. And that's kind of how we met a lot of the people there at that community behind the path. And I haven't have enough pictures for everybody of Roosevelt to give to them. And so instantly hugging his wife and she's crying and introduced us to her friends and, and kind of gave us the blessing saying, these are good people. And that's where we also met Tiger with Holy Kicks and Sunny. And where I took the last pictures of Sunny alive. And we also met Mama D. She's on her pictures on social media, but I gave her copies of them. But when, after Sunny died, my daughter and I went to his funeral, his street memorial service. And the day I met Roosevelt two years ago, I also met another guy, Bruce, and he said, everybody's got a story. I want to hear your testimony. And I took a picture of him telling me that, and I couldn't find Bruce. Well, my daughter and I are at the street memorial, and this guy starts preaching about his testimony. And I take out this picture that I happen to carry around with me all the time, looking for him, and it's Bruce. And so I give Bruce a picture. He couldn't even believe it. He held it so tenderly. And uh, I said, it's for him. No, he can keep it. Um, And then um, Mama D passed away. And then this weekend, I went to the Holy Kicks uh, social or fundraiser. And a lot of the people that we had interviewed or met from behind the path were there. And I randomly walked up to a guy I don't know why, I just felt called to, to meet him. I didn't know who he was. And I, I asked what his name was, he said, it's Gregory. <laughs> and he starts talking to me about this exhibit he went to at the museum. He had no idea who I was. And he had said that he doesn't know why he wasn't featured because he must've been absent that day. So I said, we could probably do something about that. <laughs> but he tells me about this story and he loves it so much that he finally, he's lived on the streets for a long time saved up enough money to get a trailer uh, or van, but he was saving up with his best friend Roosevelt. They were supposed to live in the van together, but Roosevelt passed away. And I took out the picture of Roosevelt and I had one left and I gave it to him um, and then told him who I was, but he loved it so much. He wants to round up all the people on the street that were interviewed and drive them to the exhibit to see it. And I had no idea who this this guy was, but he happened to know all these. So it comes all the way full circle to Roosevelt in the very first spot. Like for me, it's just such an um, incredible story of all these crazy dots getting connected. And I don't know why I'm there. I volunteer with BACA, that's that same community for the Business Art Cultural Alliance. And we've been working with city council and the mayor. Um, He's coming down to take a tour. We've been working with the city management team as well on improving safety and security because the people that Chris, uh, Scott and Lauren interviewed, you know, they need more safety down there. And so the things that they said they really need, it's kind of neat to see how now I have the platform to actually get those those needs up to the city council and the mayor and the city deputy city manager directly. But for me, that's where I can't explain it. But I what I've seen so far has changed my life so incredibly that I ex- I formed a company so that my for profit will fund my nonprofit to continue work down there because those stories are just so amazing. That connection and and to see at the Holy kicks like party end of year party to see all the people that we've met a lot of them were there and everybody's eating together talking together and I don't think the other people in the room knew that some of the people there that night were going to go home to sleep on a street or in a shelter or on somebody's floor you know for a moment we were all just us and I think that's that beautiful vision of what can be and what should be is enough that I've paid to do photography for three years so I've donated all all my photography, I haven't taken a cent. I pay for all my own supplies, my own equipment, everything, um, my own prints. So I haven't taken any money. I'm not going to make money off of my friends. It's not, they give us the gift of their stories and I would never resell, resell something like that as a gift. But, but I don't know if that story kind of helps paint the picture of why the community is so valuable to me and learning through this project that. There is a reason I keep getting called back. I don't know why, but um, just the, those crazy coincidences. They also, at the museum, when I met with these guys, the first time they told me about this amazing artist named Goshen and another place we stopped. It was in Denver, actually. The, the first place we stopped in Denver was where this, artist Goshen kind of grew up and had invested in the street fraternity. So it was kind of a, an amazing journey of, you know, you just can't make this stuff up. And I think Chris and Scott and Lauren must've thought I was crazy when I told them about all these connections, but then to actually see it happen and how we're all, we're all tied together. It's just kind of a, yeah, it's an amazing journey. And I'm, it motivates me even more to continue because this, we're all the same. We're all one job loss or one illness or one I don't know data hack away from losing our house or losing our job or a medical coverage. I, I liken it to why do people donate blood? You know, with your experience. You don't donate it because it's fun. Most of people, you know, I pass out a lot when I donate blood, but I still do it because I think Someday my family or friends are going to need it. So I pay into that system. And same thing with investing in our community members. The more we pay into it, the more we can keep people from becoming homeless. And you never know that someday that could be your child or you or your spouse or your parent that that's why I, you know, I pay into it. That's why I donate blood. That's why I volunteer because, because I want that support network there if my kid ends up on hard times and is on the streets. I would want to be the person that she could go to and get help. And it was really cool to see how authentic Chris, Scott and Lauren were. They volunteered, what they won't tell you is they volunteered at the street fraternity, like hauling potatoes and food, probably like five for five days, I think five different times. And then they also served Food for think at Thanksgiving at the Aurora Day Resource Center. So they served Thanksgiving meals and hauled tables and set up things. And then, you know, they also did the volunteer for the Colfax cleanup. So to me, that the project was so important and so special that these guys gave their free time. And they could have done anything else, but they were given their free time to haul potatoes and clean the streets and, and then pick up trash. But that, that to me, it means that that this project was definitely worth it. And it had an impact on them and, and us, no and more that we're, that our hearts are molded and changed. Then we can enthusiastically encourage others to join us in volunteering and serving. And it just becomes more of a, not a movement, but it's just something that you want to do. So it was really amazing. So for me, I've definitely restored faith in humanity, definitely renewed my excitement about what I do, because I do take a lot of flack. Um, I've received quite a few hate comments uh, over this exhibit, um, accusing me of everything from, uh, accusing me of profiting off of what it's call the urban jungle, which is just disgusting. I've never taken any money or would I dare do this, but you know, people will publicly comment or somebody publicly tweeted, you're government, all and said that, you know, why do we need this exhibit? This is disgusting. And so I responded <laughs> because they said, well, we can see these people living under bridges. Why do we need this exhibit? It's awful. And they sent it to the government. So I responded to the, them, you know, in the best way I knew how, but I have received quite a few private comments, just, you know, nasty people that people on the street are all on drugs or they're all worthless. It's just that kind of crap. So it does get heavy but that's a really long answer, but I don't know. I don't know how to say it without telling the whole story.
0: Amy, I'm so glad you did tell the whole story. I, I have so many thoughts going through my head right now, but the, a couple of key things I want to go back to. Number one, what you and what Chris have shared today is exactly why I do this podcast. I want all of us as a collective human experience to be reminded that there are people out there like you two that are leaning in and leaning in is the best way for me to articulate my thoughts on that because you are leaning in to the hope, to the feeling that we can all be better together, that we can all be better when we acknowledge the humanity that is the commonality in each and every one of us. And so From that perspective, I want to tell you how much I appreciate you both. Secondly, I go back to, you made a comment about for a minute, we were able to just be us. And I love that because I think all of us, all of us are guilty of kind of living in our silos, of putting up barriers when we sometimes aren't even aware we're doing it, of judging, of, you know, maybe not putting forth our heart before we put forth all the noise, and the moment that we can all just be us, as rare as that might be, that brings us back to why we're all here. So I love that, and there are many more things I could say about all you've just said. I'm very discouraged for you that you would get flack on this because it is, it is such a beautiful beautiful way of humanizing our neighbors, all of our neighbors, not just some of our neighbors, right? It's putting faces on our neighbors and dignifying their their journey and validating them. So again, I am grateful. switching hats collectively for all of us right now to go put our parent hat on. I think the three of us are parents. Um, going through this experience, as you both have um, for the greater benefit of our collective community, what is it that you feel hopeful about for your children as a parent right now? What, what is this experience, this human experience, caused in the way of hope for their futures and what, how do you give that to them?
1: Chris, you want to start? Sure. Uh, you know, I think of it providing the tools, uh, particularly for mental health, um, being able to recognize that it's okay to talk about when things are not, um, you know, operating quite uh, to peak efficiency. Uh, developing coping skills, um, being able to understand when you need to seek help. Um, you know, a couple of people we talked to in Exhibit, you could tell that you know they they're not necessarily blaming their parents, um, but they definitely you know were dealt a hand right off the bat that was not conducive to success, and so uh, it it makes me more conscious of what I'm in you know imbuing uh, on on the next generation and what uh, you know our kids can all learn is uh, life is challenging and. And um, you need to be able to uh, have the skills and the emotional uh, intelligence to be able to navigate this very challenging world. And I really hope that, you know, people who do come to this exhibit kind of get a little bit out of that as well. Of it's, it's really important to, um, yeah, it's really important to be able to understand mental health as a big part of our community and be more empathetic to those who are experiencing challenging. Uh, psychological uh, issues.
0: You know, Chris, when I left the exhibit and I, as I've shared with both of you on the call today, I had so many feelings, but the other one that was really pronounced for me is how resilient the human spirit is. And I just, I kept thinking about in just about every single one of those stories that you all showcased, um, the adversity that those of our neighbors have had to overcome and they they keep doing it and it's just incredible uh, the resilience of the human spirit. And I know um, that one as a parent, um, I feel strongly about imparting to my own child, like the, the, the human spirit is resilient. And I love the comment about being open to discussing mental health challenges too, because I do think in, in combination with our resilience, we also have to acknowledge when we aren't well, and that is a, that's a sign of strength in my mind, that is never a sign of weakness. And to ask for help and to know that help is out there um, is also just part of our human experience. So that was very well said, Chris, very well said. Miss Amy, from your parent hat. My parent hat,
2: well, my daughter has been a part of my journey with this project and she's my encourager. Um, We actually named her Harper Lee because I wanted to predestine her, if I could, to stand for social justice, and um, so she has been my encourager. She volunteers with me on uh, the cleanup Colfax days. She knows quite a few of the people, um, like Leonard and Willie and Abby. Uh, so she has met uh, quite a few of the people already featured in the exhibit, and and has known them and spent time with us at barbecues and Christmas celebrations in the community. Um, but like Chris said, um, touching on the mental health aspect, it's really, I, you know, people, they still have stigma around mental health I and mean, you just need to call it like it's a health issue. It's like, it's it's no different than having your legs cut off like my grandpa, <laughs> he had no legs. I mean, it's, you have a health issue and you need help. And and so t- talking to her about that, it's not a taboo subject. And um, also bringing that up and, and even, and showing her what to look out for her with her friends because she is not going to come from an environment of abuse or neglect um no drugs or alcohol so she might have to be that advocate for her friends she can she understands firsthand what happens to people um if they if they make a mistake or they get involved in drugs and alcohol or um, even if they're falsely com- convicted of a crime. So she understands that there's consequences. So I'm very thankful uh, that she's been my little partner. And she also encourages me when things get rough. I'm used to getting you know, negative comments. I can take it out as a kickboxer. I can take anything. I think. But when people come after my friends and the community, that's what really uh, drags me down. And it it tires me out and she reminds me often of why why I need to keep going back and it's not us and them it's just us they everybody has a story like the people that you interview for venerable voices we all have stories and giving our friends this voice and this opportunity teaches our kids it we're modeling what we hope our kids will become and there's a lot of pressure because one thing to sit at home and say you should do this or you should do that government or whatever Um, but to actually get out there and do it and when we go to the Colfax cleanup dates I I can't keep up with her she's like hurry up she's got her dustpan and you know cleaning up and organizing people I think she's probably one of the only kids that's there all the time Um, so she's yeah I think it's really good and it's nice to see that the other people on the, the team Know, that these last same lessons are the ones that they hope their kids will will model. I'm very hopeful in the next generation and very inspired by the next generation.
0: So Chris, let me back up here. Um sure. I am just interested with this incredible collaborative you all have put forth for the benefit of our entire community, what do you hope we all get out of it?
1: Right, and I think this kind of circles back to something Amy said um, about some of the negative comments she received was, I really hope this project can overcome some prejudice and some misconceptions. Um, That was a question I asked each individual we talked to is um, what would you like the general public to know about homelessness in general, what kind of, misconceptions do you think the community has? And uh, most common theme, I guess, of that answer is, you know, we need to see people for people. We need to see, um, uh, you know, that we're all a few steps away from experiencing uh, trauma or housing insecurity. Um, You know, a lot of the people I talked to were, you know, probably in some of the darkest days of their lives, um, while others, you know, you could see were climbing out of those dark days and had a lot of hope for the future, um, had a lot of optimism, maybe they'd overcome their addiction. Um, I think of one individual in particular named Brandy, who is, you know, a mother and has been sober for many years now and is trying her best uh, to provide for her children and to uh, put a roof over their head, even if at the time uh, I talked to her, it's a motel room. Um, it's something and that you know she's putting food on the table and uh, doing her best to work on herself as a recovering addict. Um, it's, I think it's something that we all need to see in people that uh, we all face challenges as individuals. We all have demons. Um, as Amy said, we're all a little broken. Um, It's a matter of being able to overcome uh, our individual challenges in our lives, um, and being able to triumph in the end and be able to lean on others when um, we can't stand on our own. So I hope when people come to the exhibit, they can see that optimism. um, They can see people for people, and they can overcome some of their own personal biases against uh, the quote unquote issue of housing insecurity and uh, understand that you know, these are people just like us trying their best uh, to survive in a very challenging world and um, hopefully come away with some ideas of uh, how to improve their own lives, how to assist their neighbors and have a little more empathy for people who uh, maybe are a little less fortunate than they are.
2: And through this exhibit, Uh, It's not our story to tell. If people want to show respect and love and compassion and prove that they have an open mind and a compassionate heart, then they'll visit the exhibit. It's not about politics or hate or blame or anything like that. And my daughter actually brought her friend and her friend's family on their Christmas break to come see the exhibit. And they walked through and read everything. So to have little kids who want to go to the museum to read an exhibit about you know, housing and security, I think that says volumes too, to what the team put together as well as the, um, the hearts and minds of the younger generation.
0: I wanna thank my guests on Venerable Voices today, Chris Shackelford and Amy Forestieri. The collaborative project they put together really speaks volumes about humanizing each and every one of our neighbors. It gives us a lot to think about. I encourage you, our listening audience, to visit the Aurora History Museum and check out the newest exhibit, Without a Home in Aurora. You can also view it online. And I think if, if not for any other reason, it's to underscore that we still have empathy for each other as human beings. I also was left with what to do about this issue, how I feel when I encounter someone who's experiencing homelessness. I want to be less judgmental. I want to be more open. And Amy actually said at the end of our conversation that even something as simple as bringing along when I'm out and about the PDF guide for resources that can support anyone in need is a really helpful and a very real way to assist uh, those in need if I were to encounter them. So I encourage you to think about doing the same and really reflect upon our empathy. Is it guiding us? Is it present? Can we tap into more of it? I think we can, and together we can be stronger. Whatever you do next, be sure and make it count and be well. You have been listening to Venerable Voices. Take care.